Our lives are marked with calling, calling from a great God who chooses to use us to further his kingdom. Throughout history, we see people who have said yes to this calling and in doing so have been used by God in incredible eternal ways. In the Bible, we see many examples of people running toward the calling on their lives. However, we also read of people who ran away from God. Which one are you? Do your fears, your struggles, your disappointments in people tempt you to turn and flee from the very mission that God has for you? Perhaps you've even forgotten what you yourself have been saved from. Our God is big and his love for us is infinite. May we not run from him and his plans, but instead embrace the calling on our lives and take this infinite love to a lost and dying world. So it was the beginning of the 20th century. Industrialism had risen all over New York City, creating a jungle of concrete and steel. And within that, there was an unintended consequence of orphans that were roaming the streets, street rats, you might call them. Either parents who had died or just couldn't afford to care for them any longer. And it was in this time that Mr. Reed Mr. Reed, who had a heart for orphaned children and wanted to not only rescue them from the struggle and strife, but also wanted to give them new identities, give them a new name, give them a purpose. Billy was one of these street rats who was rescued by Mr. Reed. He was from Brooklyn. And it wasn't too long after he had been brought into the family, given this new name, given this new identity, this new purpose, but Mr. Reed approached him and he said to Billy, Billy, I'm so glad that you're a part of the family and I'm so glad that no longer are you just roaming. There's more children like you though, more orphans like you who need a home. I want you to go to the Bronx. And I want you to go to the Bronx and I want you to share with them that they're welcome to come in, find a few friends, bring them back and have them join us. Our thoughts are confused at Billy's response because he says, the Bronx. You crazy, those are horrible people in the Bronx. And Mr. Reed says, well, as far as I remember, you weren't doing so great when I found you. Whether Brooklyn, Bronx, any other borough in New York City, street rats by nature are not people who have it all together. So what's the difference? Go, I want you to go bring some people from the Bronx and join our family. And Billy said, hey, I might've been really horrible when you found me, but not like that horrible. People in the Bronx are horrible people. There was even a time when some of them came and they found me and a friend and beat my friend up really bad. There's no way I'm going to them. And Mr. Reed reminded Billy that what street rats have in common is not their virtue, but their common need for rescue. You see, the parable of Mr. Reed is actually the story of the book of Jonah. And it's the reality of Billy's in the world. A guy named Jonah and Real honestly, as we'll challenge you over the next four weeks, it might be you looking in the mirror and saying, God, I just do not have the right heart, the right love, the right attitude to wanna keep reaching people that you have supernaturally, strategically placed in my world. Because the reality is this, it's in your notes today. The reality is, is what all people have in common is not their virtue, but their common need for rescue. What all people have in common is not their virtue, but their common need for rescue. And while that's not just true of the people you're doing life with, it was true of you. And praise God that God brought someone into your life
to tell you this amazing, transformative, life-changing message of Jesus. And so today we kick off a brand new series. My name's Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. Privilege to get to be with you. I know we have families that are visiting and others that are visiting today from all over. We're grateful that you're here and grateful that we can dive into a new series. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Jonah is a minor prophet towards the end of the Old Testament, the former covenant. If you want to find your way there, we'll be in Jonah 1. If you have a Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. You might want to have those out ready to go, and that will help you with some uh, just kind of track with us. If you're in one of our small groups that are using our sermons as curriculum, then their prompts are there for you as well when you meet this week. I'm really grateful. Um, <clears throat> we just finished this series last week and so grateful for all of our, our team, but especially for Bill and for Helke and my friend Kurt, who came down to preach. Just really <clears throat> did a great job. They all had massive topics. Hey, why don't you just talk about the Holy Spirit on this day and see how that goes? So uh, I really appreciate the way they took it on. And where we're going to go today is we're going to work right off the, the back end of where Hilke left off last week. And he talked about in this whole series, it was called Real Mature. And how do we know? Can we look at things in our lives that should be looking more like Jesus? If we say that we are Jesus followers, are we following him more closely than we were a year ago? <clears throat> more closely than we were six months ago. And Hilke finished the series saying this, that, and, and I, I asked him to preach on this because this is what I was guilty of for so long. I would measure, I would evaluate my maturing, my growth in following Jesus based on my ethics, based on my morality, based on my devotions, based on my Bible study, all good things, but actually all subservient things to the main thing, and that was the plot. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we said that you cannot measure how you're maturing apart from mission. Jesus came for this express purpose. How could his followers not also engage, need to engage, want to engage the same mission he came to bring to them? So the reality is, is as we leave that topic, we launch right into the book of Jonah, and Jonah we're going to see is this great tension. You're going to see things about Jonah over the next couple of weeks that are going to be truly disturbing related to his lack of interest and even desire to not be on mission. And my hope is, is that we learn some things, a lot of things of what not to be and how not to live. As we dive into this narrative, we're four weeks today from Easter a day that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And, and the reality is, is that the only reason we have hope to be adopted into the family of God is not due to our religion, not due to how much we're trying harder to be gooder, but it's all about what Jesus did for us. How he lived a sinless life, how he died a sacrificial death, how he was raised supernaturally on the third day. That's why Easter is such a big deal. We get to have a relationship with God. We get to be adopted into his family. We have the hope of heaven because of what Jesus did for us. And so as we march towards Easter in these next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things week by week. I'm going to ask you to keep finding yourself in the narrative of Jonah. I want you to find yourself in the lives of people that Jonah interacted with. And though we'll see, literally, there's not a single person Jonah meets that he cares about. In four chapters, you're never going to meet one that Jonah says, how could I share God's love with you? But I want you to see that all of those lives, even though he is so not on mission, 
I want you to see how those lives are still affected by the goodness of God still somehow despite Jonah himself. I want you to find yourself in the attitudes and actions of Jonah, and I don't say that obviously positively, but I'm gonna tell you from the very beginning, this is not a series to look out the window. This is a series to stare in the mirror and ask the hard questions. God, where's my heart? God, where are my actions? Where are my prayers? Where is my sense of engagement in the personal mission that you have dropped me into a relational world of eight to 15, 15 people? You supernaturally, strategically placed me there so I can be your ambassador. Some of them already know and love Jesus. How do I encourage them? Some of them do not. How can I love them, pray for them, influence them to know this great savior? I also want you to find yourself, and maybe this is the most important of the three, I want you to find yourself in the deep amazement and gratitude of this God of Jonah, this father who doesn't give up on him and he doesn't give up on the horrible people, as it were, that Jonah's gonna be around, but he loves them because he deems them valuable in his sight and he keeps pursuing them when all that they deserve is judgment. That's the God I want you to see front and center in these four weeks in Jonah. You'll be challenged weekly to really stop and ask yourself some hard questions when you think about your mission, when you think about you engaging as an intentional influencer in your world. Why am I not doing this? Why am I maybe even opposed to this? Or why is this just hard for me? And my hope is that over the course of these four weeks, that as we let the word of God do its thing, we let it kind of shine into our lives and our our hearts, that we would just have this sense of going, God, more than ever, more than ever, I am deeply impacted, impressed. I I want to see you move in people's lives. And I wanna be a part of that process. And that's what I'm excited to see is the outcomes. My prayer is that you not only continue to be impressed and moved to action by the heart of God and the fact that he loves street rats like you, as well as the horrible people that right now, sitting here today, you would rather just go to hell. Yep, I said that. Let me unpack it. Here's our our now what statement this week. It's in your notes and on the screen. Move toward, not away from, being an intentional influencer among all of the people in your relational world. Move toward, not away from, being an intentional influencer among all the people in your relational world. Let's dive in. Number one in your notes. God loves you as well as those you don't love. God loves you as well as those you don't love. We begin right out of the gates with this basic idea. When it says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, there weren't certain people, he said, with this uh, asterisk next to, but not them. He loves you and the people you don't love. Look in your Bibles, Jonah 1, 1. This is how it begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Pretty, pretty brisk, just boom, here it goes. The word of the Lord came to this guy named Jonah. Really no background, no setup. It is real abrupt beginning. Here's what we know from some other places within the former covenant, the Old Testament. Jonah was from the northern kingdom of Israel in Galilee. Now, for those of us who've maybe been at church for a while, you're thinking, well, Galilee sounds familiar. That's actually where Jesus grew up and where he did most of his ministry. You're gonna see some amazing parallels today about Jonah and Jesus related to things they had in common and yet in other ways couldn't be any more apart and different. 
But this is where Jesus also would grow up is in the northern kingdom of Israel, what was at Jonah's time, the northern kingdom of Israel. He served as a prophet in the early part of eighth century BC. Now, Jonah was called to the office of prophet, and when we hear that, we generally assume that the word prophet means like prophecy, it means future events. The word prophet literally just means mouthpiece of God, so one who speaks on God's behalf. And often, because we have prophecies in the Bible, Old and New Testament, we're always thinking about these four forward future events. But the reality is, is that when you look in both of the, these parts of the Bible, prophets would say to a current people about a current situation from God. So don't always think prophet being foretelling. Prophet is simply, God is telling you this message to go give to those people. Sometimes it has a much longer future reality, but often it's, hey, right here, right now, if you don't do this, things are gonna go bad. Prophets rarely brought good news. I was thinking about this a little while ago, and I was thinking about the challenge sometimes that all of us face in different ways. How do you know if this is of God? Right? You have decisions in your life you're trying to make. And, and, and it's like between good and good. It's not like some horrible decision where you're like, God, what, what should I do? And I was reflecting on the fact that, well, God, it was, it was easier for prophets because you literally told them, go to this people, say these words. Right? And I'm like, God, just hit me upside the head. That'd be awesome. Just hit me and just go, boom, go do this. But the thing I wasn't thinking about when I was processing that is God never said, go to this people and tell them that they're just awesome. It was always go to this people and tell them you need to make some serious changes or judgment is about to come. So I was forgetting the fact that prophets were never loved. <laughs> they always brought bad news. And within the bad news, they had to deal with the reality of often being uh, criticized, often being cast out, often even being run out of town, if not killed altogether. <clears throat> so here we have this idea, in whatever way God spoke and communicated himself to Jonah, he understood, Jonah would have understood this was a message from God that he was commanded to share. Verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is really unique, actually. We've not only said, is Jonah not going to give all this fortune-telling as this foretelling of things to come? But what he's also going to do is he's going to go to a people that are not the house of Israel. Most times when you read the prophets in the former covenant, they're often directing their words to either the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah. Once in a while, they'll say, oh, to the nation of Edom, be careful, or to Egypt, pay attention, but often it's the house of Israel or Judah. And, and there's a couple occasions, Jonah's one of them, where almost the entire message that they bring is not to the people of Israel or Judah, but it's to other nations. Jonah's one of only a couple who this is his message. So in the book of Jonah, we're never going to read him ever say anything to the people of God. Everything about his mission is to quote the Gentiles. It's to those and other regions and places, specifically to the people of Nineveh. So the narrative of God's call on Jonah was to go to Nineveh, um, and Nineveh was living in actually this season, a, a season of political uncertainty. It was between two kings, so there's kind of chaos going on in the country at that time. Let me show you some geography, and this will help a little bit. Take a look at the map. 
this is, um, so you can get a little bit of spatial reference. Don't worry about the yellow, that would come later on, but the map had what I needed. It had up in the green, in the right, you'll see Nineveh, and in big letters above it, Assyria. And then down, look down to the left, and you'll see Samaria. That's basically this, uh, this northern kingdom of Israel, the Galilee area, and then over there, Nineveh. So what God has called Jonah to do is to be his mouthpiece to take his words to a group of people over there northeast in Nineveh. Now you'll notice Nineveh is right under those big capital letters Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Now for those of us who've heard a little bit about the Bible before, we're starting to connect a dot or two and realize, well, Assyria, that's a group of people that really were pretty bad. And definitely were enemies of God's people, the people of Israel. Look at what he's called to do. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So obviously he's going to be the bearer of bad news. He's going to come and, and bring words that are not going to be pleasant to hear. The end of this phrase, by the way, doesn't mean that God was previously unaware of their wickedness, but that the um, exercise of their wickedness would no longer be permitted. It was almost like this. Go and tell them that they've been out in the lobby, but they're about to be ushered into the courtroom. I'm going to deal. I've let things go unpunished, but I'm about to wield justice in the people of Nineveh. They're coming into the courtroom. You go tell them the courtroom is the next step for them. That's kind of the message of what he was supposed to bring. Now, given this new assignment, Jonah embarks on a 550-mile journey to this wicked city to tell them of God's imminent correction. I know, it actually doesn't go that way at all. It goes very different. As God's prophet, he should have responded in obedience. I love the songs we were singing as we set up today. Where you go, I, I'll go. Where uh, you send me, I'll follow. Where you serve, I'll serve. Now, that's anything but Jonah. We're about to see it. Look at Jonah 1.3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now geography is going to be huge to help us with this. Take a look at the map. This is now where we get a little bit of spatial understanding. We've just said he's in, he's in this area of Samaria uh, and now he's going to go to Joppa. So already he's going out of his way this direction. He should have gone 550 miles northeast. He's going to go to a port city called Joppa, the wrong direction, and he's going to get on a boat, and he's going to sail. He wants to sail 2,500 miles away. When you think of Jonah's frame of reference, literally, as people who, who would come back and talk to the people of Israel, the Phoenician sailors in Joppa, that was the end of the world. They didn't know anything beyond Spain. They didn't know anything beyond Tarshish. He literally said, I want to buy a ticket to go to the end of the world in the opposite direction. It'd be like this. If I told you, hey, or let's say this, better than me saying it, God says to you, God says, I want you to go to Albuquerque. And you say, okay, so I'm going to go to Long Beach and get on a boat to Honolulu. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same. So if we put it in your notes, everybody knows that you don't need a boat to get to Albuquerque. Everybody knows you don't need a boat to get to Albuquerque. I want you to see that from the very beginning today, the intense intentionality to do the opposite of what God said. Not even close. He doesn't just go, well, I got detoured. The opposite direction, not even using a vehicle. What he needed was a camel to get to Nineveh, not a boat. 
And, and 2,800 years later, we don't have the frames of reference, but this was laughable when you heard this. Just incredibly ironic. I love, as we put our graphics, I love the, the video bumper that Chris Dowdy put together, Chris Petnack, our graphics. I love that our, the irony you're going to see over the next few weeks is that Jonah is around an anchor. Where Jonah was sent should have been a city or camels or something like that. There's no reason he ever should be in the water. And you're going to see the irony week over week of this guy who is just hell-bent to not want to do what God has asked him to do. Here's a simple question for us. Why? Why be so intent to run in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go? We read these words 2,800 years later and we're not aware of the political landscape. We're not aware of the issues that people were facing and it can just go right over our head, but I wanna help you with that a little bit. Because if you would have lived in the Galilee region in the eighth century BC, watch this, his actions wouldn't have actually been all that bizarre to you. Nineveh was the massive capital city of the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrians truly were a horribly wicked people. I remember having the opportunity to speak at a summer camp to high school students and, and was on the story of Jonah. And I did my research in advance. And, and if I could tell you, and by the way, all of these accounts come out of just modern history, secular history. None of this is even from the Bible. But as it would account the kings of Assyria, and the ways that they would absolutely devastate nations that they would ransack. The ways that they would absolutely take horrific trophies of war and count them up and say, this is how I knew I had a good day in battle today were these many body parts. And I remember sharing some of the gory details at this summer camp. I think students in the front row were like, shut up, you know, this is gross. It was, it was just a disgusting, uh, authoritarian, brutal group of people who could only see domination. And the way that you dominated was not just to win, but to completely annihilate. Now, it wasn't just as though this is a horrible group of people theoretically for Jonah. Remember we said it before, it would ultimately be later after Jonah's life that Assyria actually would come and completely destroy the northern kingdom. That's still going to happen. Prior to, the kings of Assyria kept sending, we've read about these in some narratives we've looked at at Trinity in the last couple of months. They would send these marauding bands of raiders into areas in the northern kingdom of Israel. They'd stealthily come in. They'd set fire to villages. They'd steal people and bring them back as slaves. It was a horrible, horrible thing. All done kind of guerrilla warfare, not a full frontal attack, but just all these side things to just keep this people. Just imagine you go to bed at night wondering, are your kids going to be stolen from your home and is your house going to get burned down? That's the temperature of the room. And by the way, Jonah lived in the Galilee region in the northern kingdom of Israel it doesn't take much to maybe connect a dot that this wasn't a theoretically horrible group of people, but these people had somehow intersected horribly with him. Now it makes it more personal, doesn't it? We said an interesting subtitle to this series, How to Keep Hating Your Enemies. I'm gonna tell you from the very beginning today, I think Jonah we'd say by all human standards, had a pretty good reason to hate the Ninevites. 
That being what it is, it doesn't mean it's okay. Some would ask this question, why would Jonah resist giving words of pending judgment to a people who so desperately deserved it? I mean, this is what God said. Go tell them, I'm about to smote. Okay, they're gonna get it. Like you would just say, me, me, me. I'm first in line. I can't wait to give that message. Hop on my camel, go on over to Nineveh, stand outside the gates and just yell, hey, good news, God is gonna destroy you. Walk away. Yeah, it's like that. What, what's the downside of that? Here's the wild thing. I think Jonah would have loved to share that message if he wasn't completely convinced that God is a God of compassion, that God is a God of forgiveness, and that God is a God who actually would respond to their repentance. Jonah is not afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah is afraid of God. He's afraid of God's goodness. And God, what if, what if in telling them these words, giving them a heads up, they do turn and you let them off the hook? Maybe he could have said it this way, better that they never hear these words of judgment so they can't repent beforehand even though God might get someone else to speak on his behalf. I mean, I can't make any, I can't keep any profit from going, but watch this. It's surely not gonna come out of my mouth. I believe that was his heart. Two impossible phrases are found in this verse. Jonah ran away from the Lord, or you see it again, to flee from the Lord. I love the text, it's so clear. He's not running away from Nineveh, he's running away from God. And yet we know that's impossible. Look at in your notes. When you run from God's calling on your life, God pursues you with the goal of recovering your heart and your purpose. When you run, and I noticed the words, it didn't say if. When you and I run from God's clear calling on our lives, this is the beautiful part of the mercy and kindness of God. Look how he treats us. He pursues us with the goal of recovering your heart and your purpose. Let's keep going. Number two in your notes. God won't make it easy for you when you run. God won't make it easy for you when you run. And by the way, when we keep talking about this you stuff, right, when you run, realize, I don't believe for many of us, I love it, uh, even who we've been praying for earlier today, God has called us to the nations. There's no doubt about it. But I want to say this, God has also initially called you to your world. So don't worry about, God, I, I failed you in your calling to go around the globe. No, ask, ask the question, God, have I failed to engage your calling to the people who live next door? To the person who sits in the desk right next to me in school? To the person who's got a cubicle right next to mine? Have I failed? Do I not have a desire? Am I running from that calling to be your ambassador to them? That's the question I want you to keep asking today. Jonah 1.4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and <laughs> fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. What you're going to see, I love the way that the Bible uses this language. It doesn't say they get out to sea and all of a sudden mother nature conjured up a storm. 
It's super clear. They get out to sea and God brought the wind. God is absolutely engaged in every part of Jonah's life. Even when he runs away, God's pursuing him to bring him back. And in the course of this, God is the one who definitely is at hand. It's also interesting that the sailors quickly realize this is no act of nature. They're calling upon higher powers left and right. Somebody save us. This is supernatural at the level of grade of storm, and we need help. When you talk about weathered, vested, professional sailors that are freaking out, you know that's a storm. And this is where they were. When they took a... Uh, Jonah on as a passenger. They had absolutely no idea what they were in for. And uh, now they're going to really go through it along with him. I think it's interesting, in the middle of this chaos, Jonah is asleep in the boat. Now, when you hear that, you kind of go, wait a second, though. I remember another guy who slept in a boat one time during a storm. I mean, think about this for a minute. Think about this storm. If you've ever been on a boat, I get seasick really easily. So this, and I'm seeing green, okay? You can imagine, you know, this whole craziness is going on and people are freaking out and yelling. It's loud. Waves are crashing up against the side. All this stuff is going on. And here's Jonah. You know, just conked out. It was the same kind of thing. Another guy who fell asleep in a boat during a storm was not on the ocean, but on a sea of Galilee, a guy named Jesus. And again, remember, former professional sailors. What are you doing? And their, their response, do you even care about us? We're all going down. We said that there were interesting parallels between Jonah and Jesus. I find it fascinating. We're going to see more unravel over the next few weeks. But it, just as we start out, they come from the same region. They both were involved in epic storms. Both of the storms are going to be, by the way, supernaturally silenced. But when you think about Jonah and Jesus... You can't think of two people who are more diametrically different. Jonah is the archetype of Jesus. Look in your notes. As Jesus came to seek and save lost people, Jonah runs and hides from them. As Jesus came to seek and save lost people, that was his mission. That's what he said he came for. Jonah runs away from them. They both fell asleep in the belly of a boat. One was intent on being obedient to the call of God, to rescue lost people while the other was anything but. I want you to see this. Sometimes we skip over this part of the story. I want you to see the ripple effect of Jonah's disobedience. We'll, we'll look a lot at this book and we'll just be tempted to keep looking at Jonah. I want you to see all the lives that Jonah touches. Jonah gets on a boat knowingly, knowingly rebellious from the creator of the universe and he's going to put this group of sailors in jeopardy. Guess what else he's going to do? As they put out to sea, every single bit of cargo that people have paid them to deliver from point A to point B is also going to be jettisoned off the boat. All those people will lose financially because Jonah decided to run away from God. I don't know if you and I ever can even begin to calculate what is the net negative ripple effect of my disobedience. How many people's lives are touched when I just say, God, I know you've called me to X, I'm doing Y. And you start walking through the lives of your family. 
You start walking through the lives of your friends. You start working through the lives of coworkers. You start working through the lives of even those people that you're not going to get near to and what they're missing out on in Jesus. You just start rippling that out and you just go, man, this is not just about me. This is a much bigger deal than who I am and what I'm doing or not doing. My life impacts other people. It ripples out in other people's lives, both positively and negatively. Look at verse seven. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So watch this, you see, they're, they're, by the way, when, when you have a bad storm at sea, you don't initially go to, let's do some wives' tale method of figuring out, you know, who's really responsible. They've done everything else. They're trying to keep the ship together. They're throwing stuff off the side. They realize this is not a mother nature grade storm. This is supernatural. There is a deity involved in this. We got to figure out what it is. So they asked Jonah, verse eight, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? <laughs> it's great, I'm a prophet of the most high God. Where do you come from? Uh, I come from Israel. Which country, Israel? And what people are you? I'm Jewish. And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship, watch, Yahweh. This is not the generic name for God. I, I'm, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the you know, positive energy. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God of the Hebrews. His name is Yahweh, the God of heaven, watch, who made the sea and the dry land. I worship the God who made the very thing that's about to kill us all. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, watch, because he told them so. I mean, are you, just look at the smugness. Hi, I'd like to buy a ticket. Where to? Tarshish, as far away as I can get from here. Oh, okay, why do you want to go that far away? I'm running from God. Oh, okay. Just, just again, the smugness. He'd already told him, yeah, you know, I just, God told me to do something. I'm not going to do it. Got any room, you know? And so all this stuff is going on, and these guys, and this is what I want you to see, even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, these sailors, though there's collateral damage, these sailors are seeing the power of God. And they're seeing the power of God's pursuit. That's a powerful byproduct of this whole reality of just Jonah himself. So they ask these questions, and, and they realize the reason the sailors are terrified is because of his answer. He worships the God who made the stuff that's threatening their lives. See, Phoenician sailors would have worshipped more localized gods. We worship the God of the reef. We worship the God of the bay. We worship the God of that rock out there in the water. We don't worship the God who owns the whole thing, who created the whole thing, sea and land. He is the one that Jonah has violated. He is the God of gods. That's what they're understanding in real time. To become deeply aware of God's power and his concern for his people to be obedient to his call on their lives. God is being made known even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience. Recognizing his sheer power and authority over creation, they ask this great question, what have you done? Let's see how it finishes. Number three, God is at work around us even when we're running from him. God is at work around us even when we're running from him. Praise God that his ultimate work is not hindered by our failures. Praise God that his ultimate power in people's lives 
is not cut short because we rebel. Praise God that there are other people that God brings into people's lives to love them well and bring them close. Here's the thing I just want you to hear throughout this series, but why wouldn't you want that to be you? Why wouldn't you want to partner with God and see him do amazing things in people's lives? Chapter one, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to, to you to make the sea calm down for us? They're pretty well aware. Punishment is needed. You've disobeyed this Yahweh, this massive God of the universe. What do we have to do to you to make this stop? Look what he says. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I want you to get into this moment for just a minute. The sailors are really aware this is gonna cost something. What should we do to you? And I think what they're thinking is, they're thinking through the lenses of some sort of forms of worship. Should we light candles? Should we beg to God, this guy really did blue, he's really sorry. You know, should we do some kind of sacrifice? Is there anything we can do to help this uh, God be appeased of this. And here's the wild thing. This is what I think as, as Jonah's hearing this, and, and if it were maybe you and I were kind of getting itchy, like this is gonna go bad for me, I think he was like this. Well, like this. <laughs> but I think he just folded his arms and he looked at him and he said, throw me overboard and all this will stop. We said it earlier today, Jonah is willing to go to whatever length he has to to not be the person who brings God to that people. I think the minute he got on the boat, he was never surprised about anything. And in this moment, in all clarity, can say, just throw me over, it'll all stop by then because I'll be dead. And then God will have his way. It'll be It'll be good. How much do you have to not love people to say, God, you can take my life before I open my mouth? And in this whole context, we see the extreme of this. We're like, oh my gosh, like this guy really hated the Ninevites. He went basically in such rebellion, he was ready to die so he wouldn't have to be the person to say this. But I want you to process a little bit today and get away from Jonah and come back to you for just a minute. How far do you and I go out of our way to not have to be a person of intentional influence in our relational world? How hard do we fight to keep the conversation up at the surface? How hard do we not make it a point to be praying for the people in our relational world? How much do we avoid asking awkward things about them in their lives, knowing this is just gonna make it weird? How much? Maybe not to the point of being thrown over a boat, but I gotta tell you, man, some of us, myself included, we've gone to great lengths to say, you know what, I just don't wanna deal. You see, what these men know is they knew that would be murder. The sea is going at such a crazy rate, there is no way anyone survives that. To throw a guy overboard is to definitely seal his fate. He's gonna die. And I want you to know that Jonah is a really easy target over these next four weeks to throw a lot of rocks at. And I'm gonna be careful to try not to just kind of create this caricature. But man, I sure want us to keep looking in the mirror and asking the question, how have you decidedly chosen to keep quiet about the great news of Jesus and the lives of those that you have reason to hate? 
Now, I keep using that strong word, and you're like, Todd, come on. I don't hate people. Like, you're being harsh today. And, and let's, let's just be honest about that for a minute. Let's say this. Well, okay, let's ask a question. Are, maybe for you, it's not a theoretical group of people that are far, far away. Like, I don't think it was for Jonah either. It, it might not be people of a different worldview or people of a different skin color or people of a different ethnicity, people of a different religion. Nah, but maybe so. That might not be too far off, actually. I know there are people that have never done anything to me, but just the essence of who they are today. I, if I'm going to have to get honest, the word hate might actually come to mind. But for most of us, a little bit different. It's back to Jonah. I think there's actually cause. What about the doctor who misdiagnosed you or the person that you love? What about the man who walked out on your sister and their kids? What about the boss who's dealt cruelly with you, makes an example of you in front of everyone? What about the wife who left you for another man? What about the parent who abused or neglected you? With that kind of hurt, often comes that kind of hate. And so for some of us, we have a long time ago crossed over a line into bitterness that is this vortex that has just become something that is so gangrene in our life. And if you're gonna be honest in this series, you're gonna, before I ever started even on that, you already had their name and face in mind. We need to be reminded that hatred has definitely been used as a banner under the banner of Jesus. I want you to see this picture. I'm only gonna put it up there quickly of a horrible reminder. There's something really, really wrong with that. Does Jesus just save us or does Jesus save everyone on the planet, including the people I don't like? Jonah struggled with this and so do we. I think this quote is important. Look in your notes. The opposite of love is not hate but indifference. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. I came across that when I was a young man and I, I remember just kind of it causing me to stop because I think that's the language I usually use, right? You either love someone or you hate someone. There's really nothing in between. But when you stop and think about it, you can, a lot of us can say, I don't walk up to people and kick them in the shin. Oh, I hate you. You know, but what do we do? We just walk on by. And if the issue is, if the issue is how many people you do not hate, then we're going to get all kind of in our head over here and miss it. It's the issue, how many people do you love? And I don't mean love like I sent them a hallmark. I mean, I truly demonstrate the sacrificial nature of the agape love of God to them. How many, if that's the question, how many people do I love? There could be none or very few in this hate column, but there's a bunch of people in the middle that I'm just indifferent toward. I just don't care about. I just don't engage with. I don't pray for. I don't live intentionally toward. That's the question that we want to keep blinking a bright red light in our lives these next four weeks. Jonah is really easy to make out to be the villain in this narrative, but if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that more and more we keep looking in the mirror. What's great about the story of Jonah is not only does God give the people of Nineveh another chance, here's a um, teaser I'm giving you now, but he's going to give one to Jonah as well. Chapter 1, verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land. So they weren't even all that far out into the Mediterranean when this happens. 
but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Jonah's already said, throw me over. They're doing everything they can to not to. Then they cried out to watch. They didn't cry out to a higher power. They cried out to Yahweh. Pagan Phoenician sailors who have all their own gods, they call out to the God of gods, please, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Just like that. At this, the men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. How could you miss that? How could you miss the power of God? All right, we've done everything we can. We know what else to do. Okay, Jonah. Like, what? We've been doing this for hours. Whoever this guy works for really must be the God who made the land and the sea. They have a moment with the creator and look at that, not only of awe, they offer sacrifices. God, we don't even know who you are, but you must be amazing. And we reverence you today. As we walk through the story of God over the next few weekends, keep focused on the way that he's pursuing everyone that we come in contact with. He's pursuing Jonah every chapter at every point, but he's also pursuing this group of of Phoenician sailors. He's going to pursue the Ninevites. Consider this week how he's after you. And consider the people in your relational world, how he's called you to be an ambassador to them. He may not be calling you to a detestable people group halfway around the world, but he is calling you next door. Our now what statement, move toward, not away from, being an intentional influencer among all the people in your relational world. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today with some just really kind of uh, jaw-dropping, just kind of catch us in our gut uh, truths from this narrative of Jonah. Some of us have heard this story since we were children. Others of us is the first time. But either way, what I pray today and over the course of this next month as we set our sights towards this incredible celebration of your resurrection, God, would you show us that you love everyone in our world? There's not a single person that you did not go to the cross for. There's not a single person that you didn't break the chains of death for. And so God, in the way that you love the people in our world, would you help us to love the people in our world? You may be here today and, and all this talk, not only of Jonah, but of Jesus is just, I don't, I don't even know what to do with any of this. It's all brand new. You may be here and you may have heard this story many times, but as we talked about Jonah and Jesus couldn't be any more different. And it's Jesus, not religion. It's Jesus, not morality. It's Jesus, not church attendance that makes us right with God, allows us to be adopted by a heavenly father. And if you're here today and you would like to respond to that, his invitation to be in the family of God, to be forgiven for your sin, it begins with A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. He completely fulfilled everything that God expected and he bore the 
the guilt and shame of our sin on the cross. He was raised on the third day to new life. He lives today. See is choose. Choose to put your confidence, not in yourself, choose to put your confidence in Jesus and be convinced that what he did, he did for you. And walk forward in your life saying, Jesus, how can I follow you more closely? Father, we love you. We thank you for this book and how it's gonna be challenging and yet inspiring to us. Thank you for today. Help us, help us this week live grateful for your extravagant, reckless love. In Jesus' name, amen.